Hey, I'm Lauren. I'm Steph. And this is Design Beat. Hello, it's Lauren with another very special episode of Design Beat, where we share the stories of creative women who dance to the beat of their own drum. We hope you come away uplifted, inspired, and encouraged to go for it. Okay, you guys, honestly, today's guest, I was shocked. She (laughs) agreed to come on the podcast. Today's guest is, drumroll please, Olivia Herrick. (laughs) If you're a graphic designer, you probably already know who Olivia Herrick is. But if you don't, Olivia is a graphic designer based in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, best known for her playful, vibrant, and positive artwork. Though you will often find her glued to her computer at her studio, Olivia finds her greatest inspiration in the great outdoors. We had such a good conversation with Olivia. She is so well-spoken. I always take notes when I'm editing to keep track of points I want to mention in the intro, and I had the longest list after editing this episode. We talked about her goal to run the most stress-free studio she possibly can, the importance of having a daily design practice to get those juices flowing, giving yourself permission to do what feels right for you as opposed to what people on Instagram are telling you you should be doing, being open-minded to change in your business, knowing when to hire help, and at the end, she even encourages us not to follow her on Instagram. (laughs) You'll see why. Although, sorry, Olivia, I am going to send them to your Instagram because it is a gold mine of inspiration. Obviously, this episode is jam-packed with goodness, so let's get into it. Olivia, we are so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for meeting with us. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm thrilled to be here. So we like to start off with some rapid fire questions, just for fun. First thing that pops into your head. Ooh, okay. Casual. <laughs> okay. No pressure or anything. Yeah. Just, no pressure. Say the right answer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your favorite work snack? Ooh, anything salty. I'm a big salt girl. So maybe like, I would maybe say veggie straws or popcorn, mm, bagged popcorn. So nice. good. You like kettle corn or like salty, salty popcorn? Salt, 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 salt. bathed in salt. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love salt. Veggie straws are one of those things where I'll get the big bag and it's gone in like a day. A hundred percent. I also so have this fast. weird thing about not liking the green veggie straws. Oh, really? I, I don't know if anyone else thinks they taste different, but so let's make my kind of weird veggie straw quirk. That's so funny. I don't think I even like paid attention to the colors tasting differently. Well, I hope I didn't spoil it for you, but <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to pick out the green ones. <laughs> okay. Favorite hobby? Mm, definitely golf. It's a really big part of my life. Ooh, golf. My That's husband's fun. a golfer. That's one of the things that like intrigued me about you. I'm like, mm-hmm. We are just all-around fans of Olivia over here. Aww, thank you. What's your favorite course you've played on? Like, do you play 18 holes? Do you, like, what do you do when you go? So I played golf in college and um, still play competitively a lot. So I probably play between, like, 8 and 10 tournaments a year, um, both locally and nationally. And 
then I just, in the winter, I just train because I live in Minnesota. So in the winter, I'm just like working with my coach and training. And then um, in the summer, now I go into more intense like practice mode. So yeah, I play, I play a lot. It's like, it is definitely a very big part of my life for sure. That's amazing. I know I feel so silly now. I'm like, oh, do you like play all? <laughs> no, I also, lo- I also like love playing nine holes, which is such a funny thing because so much like, I'm definitely a high level player, but I like yeah. love playing nine holes. And my husband is always ragging on me for like wanting to play nine, which I don't know if he just is like, come on, let's play 18 all the time. Yeah. So. I love it when my husband plays nine because <laughs> it doesn't take seven hours. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it takes forever. <laughs> What'd you think of the masters? I, uh, the masters was great. I mean, like so cool, such a historic moment for Japan and it was a doubly historic moment because it was kind of bookended by the Augusta Women's National Amateur, which started and a 17-year-old girl from Japan won and then Hideki won. So it was really, really cool. Um, yeah, just like cool historic moment to be able to be watching in real time. So cool. Sorry, were you going to say something else? I cut you off. I think I was going to say that I used to be like a cool golf wife and then we had a baby and now I'm like, why does it take eight hours to play golf even though it takes the same amount of time when I go play it just like now feels I I just had no idea that it was like okay so you leave an hour early then you warm up then you play for four and a half hours then you have something to eat afterwards and like it's not hard for it to take up an entire day for sure yeah oh takes so long mm-hmm. so your do you go together yeah my husband is a great okay. golfer he played um in college as well and uh he loves to play and yeah it's, it's a big part of his life too so it works out great oh that's so cool that's such a fun thing to share mm-hmm. okay what's your favorite quote about art or design oh my goodness okay this is a hard one I think oh gosh I'm not going to be able to attribute this properly but when I was in college I could probably pull out my portfolio. It's actually my college portfolio is actually in my office here. Um, I did a project around the quote that is design is simple. That's what makes it so complicated. And mm-hmm. I'm kicking myself that I'm not able to attribute that. Oh, Socrates? Probably. No, Socrates. Socrates is something like that. Like something like simple is actually really complex. Yeah. Um, shoot. I know exactly what you're talking about. We can know. we can add an audio clip later saying who it was. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Hey Lauren from the future here popping in to tell you Paul Rand. It was Paul Rand. That's so I, I like the spirit of that. Um I also think that a lot of yeah, I, I'm a totally quote person, you know, I'm someone who's like scribbling it down in my notes app on my phone and post-it notes and journals and so I think that I bring a lot of inspiration from not design related things into my design life as well. Yeah. I was going to say, we could probably pull up your Instagram right now and find like (laughs) 10. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. You were so good at that, posting quotes and inspiring things. Um, What's your favorite show? Mm, When I'm just, we're so like, whatever we're watching, we're so heavy into at the moment, you know, we're kind of like a don't watch TV for three weeks. And then someone says, have you seen Bridgerton? And then we're like, oh my gosh, we're in love with Bridgerton or whatever. <laughs> it might be. Right now we're actually watching The Office. Um, 
And it just has been like really nice to, it's a really great show to watch at the end of the day, just like a 20 minute show kind of seal the day with like a really lighthearted thing. I love Parks and Rec. Um, Me too. We just watched all of Community, which I had never seen. I love Community. It's so funny. That took us like four months to get through all the seasons. And it was Community's just- like a hidden gem. It totally it is. is. Yeah, I had never even heard of it. And my husband had watched it previously. But um, yeah, it's just like all those kind of like classic old network comedies that were on. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know. My husband told me that it used to go community parks and rec the office back to back to back on like thursday nights on tv or wednesday nights or something which to me oh, sounds like God. a dream um yeah. but yeah so I, I we're always kind of you know dabbling in something or the occasional netflix documentary or something like that i love it those are yeah we could talk ones. all day about shows yep I'm, i know i'm like okay <laughs> nope move on <laughs> <laughs> okay do you know your enneagram number Yes, I'm a seven. I'm a Me very too. seven. Seven. I'm a five wing six. Yeah. So it's oh, like- okay. I'm a seven wing six. Do you know? Do you have a wing, Olivia? I'm an eight wing. So okay. that's why you yeah. get so much done. I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> it's very situational for me, but yeah, I definitely when I. Not till I keep talking about my husband. I swear I do things that don't involve him, but he mm-hmm. learned about it first many years ago um, through work. And so, and I was like, oh, that's weird. Why would you try to put people in boxes? That's really bizarre. Um, and then I finally took the test and it's upset I was a seven and I read the description and I was like weeping just like, oh, wow. All these things that I thought were like so unique and weird about me and that made me different and strange are like clearly very predictable because enough so that someone can write a baseline paragraph and I can be like oh my gosh this is exactly who I am so I have found it to be very like enlightening and um helpful to understand myself more so yeah I just think it's like really fun and interesting I think any form of self-discovery is cool and you know worth pursuing but totally I think it's really validating yes very and it's really helpful with relationships and mm-hmm. understanding what motivates other people and because my husband and I are so different and so just having that it's helped us understand how our numbers work together mm-hmm. 100% it's awesome I think it's fun um okay last one favorite creative tool Ooh, a favorite creative tool I would say I mean, it's hard for me to say, to not say my computer, because obviously that's like my whole business is, yeah. is on my laptop. Um, I would say outside of that, um, I was, I've bet, really was into collage heavily in college. And that's something that I've still kept up. Um, I pull lots of pages from everything. I actually was just like recycling some books the other day and I was like going in with an exacto and like taking out all my favorite pages from these old books and so I think that I spend a lot of time in the tangible world too but certainly for my actual like creative expression the majority of it happens and definitely professionally happens on my computer so I think I have to give it some credit and say my computer yeah Mm -hmm. do you try and work tangible things into your design process 
Oh yeah. All the time. Um, kind of from start to finish. I definitely do a lot of sketching and it's never really, um, calculated or like it doesn't, I'm, I'm pretty much never drawn, you know, let's say a logo or an illustration that then looks exactly the same when I create it digitally, but I'll see like something weird or like even just looking up right now out of my office window, I can see like the roof line next door is meeting in this really unique angle and there are all these lines on the roof. So like, I just feel like I take a lot of things from not the real world because we're obviously in the real world all the time, but um, the non-digital world and bring it back into my work for sure. Yeah, I love that. I love the analog world. There's the digital world and the analog world. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your background. Have you always been creative? When did you start designing? I started designing when I was probably about 13 or 14 years old. Um, My mom was a designer. She her title was like art director when she did most of her design work before she had some other jobs. But um, so I grew up with a parent who was very design minded and really kind of like she was into like the aesthetic, you know, in 1992. Right. So like she was just just totally into the vibe of everything. She's extremely creative. She's so cool. Um, And so that really kind of laid this foundation for me of loving art and loving design and having a great example of that in my life. Um, I would say when I got to be like 13 or 14, I don't know how this happened, but I started designing logos in PowerPoint, just like local. Literally, we would drive around and through this small town on the way home. And I'd be like, oh, that laundromat could use a new logo. And so I would like make shapes and everything was in Helvetica Canoe, obviously. And um, yeah, I just, that, that was something that I started doing randomly. And then I interned, I mean, I was in like ninth grade. So what does that really mean? Um, <laughs> at my school helping, you know, with like email templates and stuff like that. And so I just kind of got it in my head that this is what I wanted to do. And then I, you know, I guess I'm kind of fast forwarding through a lot of my life right now, but um, I then received a couple of golf scholarships and had to really decide where I wanted to go to school based on the design program at these colleges that I was offered scholarships to. So I ended up going to school in Des Moines, Iowa. I'm from Minneapolis. I still live here. And so I ended up picking Des Moines and loving it. And and it was, it's a great design program, but it definitely wasn't like the most competitive design program of the schools that I was choosing between. And so I'm actually really grateful that I went that route because I feel like it gave me a lot of flexibility to um, not be in like a super, super cutthroat design program. Cause I'm sure you guys know mm. the programs are just like really intense, like extremely intense. You definitely cannot have any other hobbies or interests or anything else. And so yeah, I mean, I just, again, I just kind of went from being 13 to being 22 in two minutes, but that's kind of a high level, <laughs> high level overview. That's crazy. So you were like doing actual graphic design work in PowerPoint when you were in junior high. Yeah, I think I was in high school because I had a laptop. Um, 
And I remember being like, oh, cool, like blending modes. And so I would like take a photo, you know, and like gradient it out from side to side. I mean, I thought I was so cool. And yeah, I remember I still have, (laughs) (laughs) I still have one of them on my bulletin board at my parents' house. It's for a bar, which is hilarious. Um, It's like the olive bar. And it's just so sweet. Like, I don't know how I came up with that or what made me want to do that or there, that didn't exist. And certainly I wasn't drinking at 13 years old, <laughs> right. but I do have some like really fond memories of those projects. I should probably dig them up at some point just to like really, really remember. Yeah. Oh, that is so fun. So did you ever stray from wanting to be like your mom and be a designer? Did you ever think of doing other things? I know you mentioned like golf did you always know you wanted to do them together or yeah there were probably two pivotal moments where that kind of popped into my mind the first was in 2010 so I graduated from college in 2010 and I definitely was forced with a choice uh or forced faced with a choice of needing to decide if I wanted to pursue playing golf professionally um or if I wanted to just like go have a regular life because being uh, an aspiring professional athlete is definitely not like a calm, casual life. You're on the road all the time. It's very competitive. Um, the money is not great. I mean, there's like a million things that factor into that. And so that was one time when I kind of needed to, I had this sort of reckoning of making that choice and I ended up choosing design. I just like wanted to go. I had been traveling a lot and golf had been my whole life for four years. And so I wanted to just like go to work in the morning and come home at night and like have a very simple, boring life. Um, Mm -hmm. So I ultimately kind of came back to design then. And then when I was, oh man, probably like three years out of school, I was working for a nonprofit. I was working for a school and I thought that I should go back to school to become a teacher. I was feeling like very, very inspired by being around students and children every day and just like really feeling a strong call to go back and do that. And One thing that I have since learned about myself as an Enneagram 7 is that since then I have had like a hundred other ideas of things that I could do. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like most things, um, they're kind of fleeting. And I think design is like my true calling in life, but I have a lot of other interests and passions. And I think it's normal for people to constantly wonder if they're, or maybe not constantly, but occasionally wonder if they're doing the right thing, if they're making the right choices, if they're pursuing like their highest calling. And I think that actually is like a really healthy thing to reflect on. But ultimately, you know, I've always, my heart has kind of always led me back to design. I love that. I found as an Enneagram 7 that design is a great field to be in because there's so many different things to explore in design. There's so many different fields and so many different options while still being a designer. And yeah, so I totally it's kind of limitless. I mean, that. you can yeah. get into different aesthetics, you can and that I don't really niche in terms of um the style I work in and so that is really fun for me um to be able to you know go from like dark and moody to vibrant super illustrative and and it is really fun and kind of keeps you on your toes I think it makes it really enjoyable day to day as well makes time pass quickly yeah and you don't niche either in um products or services right like 
I'm remembering correctly. Services. So yeah, I donation industry. So it feels like there a lot go. of specifics, okay. but I feel like there is this kind of obsession right now in the creative world of like niching. And so mm-hmm. I don't niche in terms of the businesses that I work with. So I will work with whatever, a shipping company run by 20 men and a single female owned lipstick brand. I will work with anybody that feels like a good fit. For sure, the priority for me is like, who are you as a person? Are you going to be a good fit for me as a client? And that has more to do with who they are as a person and as a business than the specific product or service that they're selling or offering. Um, I do niche in terms of services. I really only offer visual branding, print, and packaging design. So I don't offer any, and I do do for some like returning clients, I'll do digital stuff. Like some people ask me for Canva templates or, you know, any number of things, digital ads, Facebook ads. Um, But really it is kind of a pretty narrow window. I don't do any web. I don't do, so I've kind of refined that over the last, man, 11 years. Yeah. And I feel like that's so unique because I guess what I was kind of get at with um, niching down services is that there are designers who find their success in being like, I make web design for lipstick brands. Like, and that's their whole business. That's who they are. Mm -hmm. And they find success in that. And a lot of coaches and a lot of people who are trying to get you to be successful, as they say, like, really niche down, really go down to exactly what you offer Mm -hmm. in this little corner. And this is your corner. Be really, really, really good at it. And it's so refreshing to see you and you just, you have all of these different options um, that you're, you've decided what you don't want to do, but the things that you do want to do are pretty open. Like, yeah, like, I love that. I think it's so refreshing. And just to see that that is also a way to be successful is really cool. Yeah. And I think there is value in knowing, you know, who you want to work with. The big kind of aha moment for me over the last, honestly, probably the last three years has been that I'm kind of letting go of a lot of that because I have had clients who fall into the like dream project, right? Like it's super Mm -hmm. sexy on the surface. They're a big brand or it's an exciting packaging project. And, but from the beginning, I'm like, Ooh, I don't like have the best feeling about this. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've, I've had these projects that kind of check all of those boxes of like what I'm supposed to be super excited about. And then it ends up not being kind of what I expected it to be on the flip side. You know, I have a client right now. He's like just this amazing older gentleman. He owns a leather brand. And I, on the surface, I would have been like, no, you know, I wouldn't certainly never have filed it away under like, oh, my dream client. But he's just like the kindest. He's super easy to work with. He's so enjoyable. So I also think that, you know, again, while it is really important to know who, you know, kind of what your strengths are. And also I will say that like not having a really strict visual style that I work in has definitely cost me clients. Some people will be like, can you send me examples of your dark and moody visual branding? And I'll be like, well, I know I can do it. And I, here's one. And they're like, well, can mm-hmm. I see more? And I'm like, oh, I don't have any more. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to go to someone who specializes in the like dark right. magic vibe that we're looking for. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it is definitely a balance, but for me, you know, this is, this is a good fit for where I'm at right now. Yeah. yeah. It's just nice to know because I know that a lot of 
especially up and coming new designers get so caught up on trying to focus and trying to niche down mm-hmm. and it just can be really limiting. You don't have to like so limiting. Yeah. I mean, ultimately yeah, yeah. you need to be making money. That is like 100% the advice that I tell people is that once you have enough work to start turning away work, then you can start to be a little bit more choosy. But like, if you're just starting out, um, you need to get paid. Like that's ultimately what you're doing. And I still make those decisions to this day, 11 years in, I'm like, oh, this isn't like, certainly this isn't lighting my heart up inside. Not every project does designing like a PowerPoint deck or creating a sell sheet for something, but like Mm -hmm. I'm making money. I'm running a business, you know, so it is a balance. And I think that there is a little bit of an obsession right now, kind of industry wide with like everything being your heart's passion and like deepest desire and, and most meaningful work. And while that there is a place for that, I think that it's not sustainable to think that every project you work on is going to be that way, especially when you first start out, like, especially when you first start out. So yeah. And things will constantly surprise you, which I tell people all the time as well. Is like this, you know, my client, the leather man is a great example of like, you think you know what you want, but you really don't until you try a lot of things and, and finding out that you don't like it or that you do like it are both super valuable takeaways from any project. And so, yeah, it's a journey. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I have found myself in that place where, I niched down and down and down until I was like, okay, I want to work with baby brands and I want to design branding that looks like this. And then I found myself like, where are they? Why, why am I only getting one a year? Mm-hmm. And, and I would get other clients, but I kind of set myself up for feeling like I was failing because I wasn't having like a flood of this exact project mm-hmm. and perfect aesthetic, perfect industry. And yeah, so there definitely is a balance and a difference between like visualizing your dream and what you want that to look like and also paying the bills. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think if people have free time, like, you know, reaching out to people that you want to work with is a really good use of time. Um because no one knows you exist unless you tell them that you do and help them kind of discover who you are. But I, you know, especially early on, if someone is coming to you with a project and they're going to compensate you fairly and they seem like a good person, even if it's not the perfect project, like my advice would be go for it. Yes. I love that. Are you the only one who works um, as a designer then for your company or do you have the designers under you or assistants or anything? So I have a studio manager. She's great. She's been with me for um, about two and a half years, and she manages everything kind of logistics-wise. As a client comes in, she'll send out the invoice and the contract. She'll send files. She'll deliver. She'll do naming conventions for files that we export. Um, I am the only designer who works on 90 five percent of projects and then I'll pull in like I just reached out to a few illustrators today I have a visual branding client that has an illustration style that you know they kind of pivoted from their initial idea to a style that I don't know if I can execute so I'm gonna bring in another designer to help me with that um I always keep the client abreast of that as well so there's like no confusion about that so that they know there's more people kind of coming into the fold um 
but I do the majority of my work alone. And, and at this point, that is really very intentional. I'm trying to run the most low stress, simple kind of operation that I possibly can. And managing other creatives has been really fun for me. And I have a lot of great go-to people now. But for example, like web design, a lot of people have asked me to to kind of like white label it and do it through us. But it just is not like a stressor that I want to bring into my life. And so I would much rather just refer to people directly for other services than try to grow an agency model. So, you know, yeah, like it, uh, could I make more money doing that? Probably. But at what cost? Like, is it going to come yeah. at the expense of my life or my hobbies or whatever it might be, you know, like this summer, I'm trying to really scale back. I'm not taking on any new clients. I'm just working with existing clients. And, and so it, it's harder to do that when you are responsible for other people's livelihoods, when you have more yeah. staff on your team. So that's kind of a really long winded way of saying, yes, it's mostly just me and my studio manager the vast majority of the time. Yeah. It's, I feel like agency it's always very appealing to just grow and grow and grow. But I think sometimes we forget to look at what is our day-to-day going to look like mm-hmm. if we, if you hire somebody to do that for you, how is your job going to change managing them and communicating with them? And yeah, that's awesome that you found what, what you want your day-to-day look like, to look like and how you want your studio to be smaller and you want to be in contact with your clients. Yeah, I was a creative director for a year for a startup. And what I really missed was being in the trenches. I missed designing things. I missed being an illustrator all day, every day. And so um, it definitely is something that was really clear to me, you know, running my studio that like, that's not something that I want to give up. And yeah, I mean, there's no wrong way to do it. Some people like really thrive with lots going on and tons of people in the fold and the team environment. Um, and I love the team environment. I just don't necessarily want to be the one managing it. Um, right. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to slice and dice it. But ultimately, ultimately for me, I want I want to create a business where I can kind of stop at any given point. You know, if I reach a breaking point or overwhelm or I decide I want to take like December off for the holidays or whatever and just be able to say, all I have to do is kind of move a few start dates around and I can just kind of disappear for a month. Um, And that level of control is really important to me. So yeah. It's amazing. So let's rewind just a little bit. So you graduated from college. How did you get your first job out of college? So I got my first job out of college and because I worked at a paper store when I was in college in a small town near my house and it was a paper shop owned by a larger greeting card company in this small town. I mean, small town, it's like a, you know, it's on the river in Minnesota. Um, It's kind of like an outer suburb, but it's like a really cute as a main street. It's like an adorable little tourist town. And so I worked in that paper shop when I was in college. And then when I graduated, I then, um, you know, applied to work and I was designing wedding invitations at another store they had opened. So I had I basically the the short story is that I worked for a paper store and then ultimately went on to work for that company after I had graduated as well. And I stayed there for just right about one year um, before I kind of moved on to my next job. 
Awesome. So what challenges did you face when you were starting out as a designer? Probably the biggest thing was feeling like what I saw in my head and what came out on my computer were really different things. I felt like I had good taste and I felt like I knew what looked good, but I couldn't always execute it myself. And that was very frustrating for me. Um, And certainly not something that I am alone in. A lot of people feel like that. I also felt like I, you know, went to a four-year school. I got a design degree and I learned a lot of really, really important and valuable technical skills. But I quickly found out within my first few jobs that I, there were a lot of real life things that I didn't learn in school. And so I felt kind of like a fish out of water. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of projects you do in design school Um, like you are providing the copy. It's the exact right length mysteriously all the time. Like, you know, (laughs) no one ever has, no one's ever like, this is terrible. Just toss it and start over. Um, And so, well, sometimes that happens in critiques, but uh, so I think, yeah, the, the biggest obstacle for me was feeling like I knew what I wanted to do, but I couldn't always do it. And, and it really made me feel very frustrated. And I think it's not necessarily that, I don't feel that way anymore because I do. I literally feel the way just over here to my right, there's a screen with all these illustrations of people. And like just this morning, I was like, I cannot do what I want to do. And so I think that with time, I have learned two things. First, the first is that I can do a lot more than I think I can if I push myself hard enough and far enough. And the second is that I can't do everything. And so I need to know when to throw up the white flag and and call in someone else and and not be so caught up in my own ego that I am unwilling to allow anyone else into the fold because that's a really kind of unproductive way to to create ultimately. So that's amazing. So do you feel like that feeling of knowing what you want to create in your head and not being able to communicate it on paper or digitally, do you feel like that's something you've sort of grown out of or do you still experience that? Definitely still experience it and feel like it's a really natural thing to feel. And that that feeling ultimately, you know, I was feeling that when I graduated in 2010, I was feeling it when I went to be a creative director in 2016. So like that, that part of that feeling is why I thought being a creative director would be a great fit for me is because I felt like I could tell other people what I thought we needed to do, but I couldn't always do it myself. And so I ultimately found out that, you know, I enjoyed being some part of doing it. I didn't want to have no hand in it. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I mean, it's been kind of a wild ride, but it's definitely still something that I face. Yeah. Almost every day. Yeah. I think we definitely all do. So how did you start getting clients and start your own design studio? I started to work for the nonprofit that I worked for in 2011. And that was when I really started to think like, oh, maybe I could do a couple of things on the side and a combination of, so it was a school. So a combination of like a couple of random parents at the school were like, oh, I have a winery. Can you help me with a wine label? Or, um, you know, we had a student who was an alum who had started a business and I reached out and was like, I'm happy just to help you for free. If you need anything, I'm really proud of you and what you're doing. Like, just let me know if I can help you in any way. So I would say 
how I first started getting clients was a combination of literally just asking people if they needed anything and saying yes to every single thing that people ask me to do. I mean, that's how you figure it out, right? That's Mm -hmm. you get the work and then you get more and more and more work. And then when you can start turning people away or saying, no, actually, I don't do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not very good at that. You know, Mm -hmm. um, that that's what you do. People ask me all the time. I always have um, students and people just out of high school messaging me and saying, how did you get started? How did you get where you are? And they always ask, how do you get your first clients? And I just say, well, ask, ask, mm-hmm. just ask what people need and notice if someone needs something, Hey, I can help you out with that. Oh, well, you know, I can give you a discount. So this is my mm-hmm. first time doing it. And, and then you keep building and building and building. And that's, that's really how you do it. And you make your connections. Like you started working at the paper shop in college. Mm-hmm. And then when you're ready to leave, you're like, Hey, I work for you. Can I keep working for you? Yeah, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> and then you just keep going. But it's all about relationships and about trying new things and um, just going for it. Just yeah. going for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice. And and I would agree with, yeah, everything you just said. Well, I just love it. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting these inquiries and clients. How did you decide how much to charge? Hmm. I was like, I mean, it was so long ago. It was 10 years ago for me. So I think I probably did a combination of Googling, Mm -hmm. guessing, which let's be honest, is still what I do 80% of the time. Because that's ultimately kind of what an estimate is, is you're like kind of, it's a bet of what you think the client is willing to pay and what you need to. So it's kind of this like very delicate dance. Um, I think I probably mm-hmm. Googled. I had lots of friends from school still who, you know, I remember at least once texting a friend and being like, how much do I charge for a logo? How much do you charge for a flyer? But I think I probably, when I probably first started, I was charging like $300 for a logo, you know, for one of my early retainers, which is in, when I left my job in 2015, I was charging like $50 an hour. So I think, you know, a lot of Googling and a lot of guessing. I love it. If you guys haven't checked out Skillshare yet, you need to. You can learn about pretty much any creative field from the best of the best. And one thing I love about Skillshare is that you don't have to pay per class. You just get a membership and you have access to all of their classes. And it's self-paced so you can start as many classes as you want. You don't have to finish anything. You can jump around. If you want to brush up on any of your skills or learn something new, Skillshare is a really great place to do that. You can get 40% off an annual membership at the link in our show notes. So what does an average day look like for you? Mm. Well, it's different every day, which is something that I love. It's kind of in my personality and we're heading into a season when it's about to be very different. So the kind of a broader kind of context is my goal is always to work as much as I can between basically October or November and April. We live in Minnesota. There's lots of wonderful things to do outside then but there are fewer that I'm really passionate about. So when summer rolls around, I'm trying to kind of be, to do as little as possible is really kind of the simplest way of saying it. Um, So, but in the winter when I'm working like kind of a normal person, um, you know, we have a nanny. So she comes at nine in the morning. So my like genius zone before having a child was like 6am to 10am. And so I would literally like wake up, roll out of bed, 
go sit at my desk, which was like 20 steps away and work for like four hours before I even got dressed. Um, and then I would like go work out and then come back and work a little bit in the afternoon. And that is very different now. You know, now I don't get to work sometimes until to my studio until 930. And so I really had to learn how to pivot that and like just kind of I'm still very much a morning person, but use that energy to like focus on myself and then like come to work and know how to rally and still get stuff done. Um, I'll generally come in, like check my email. I'll probably get a coffee. I'm in this like terrible Dunkin' Donuts phase right now. (laughs) Their iced coffee is so good. I don't know what they built one by our house. And I was like, where has this been my whole life? Um, I'll work, you know, I'm really big into doing like a daily design practice. So I'll just spend like five minutes getting warmed up. I have been a lifelong athlete and was very fortunate in high school and middle school to be involved in lots of like choirs and bands and theater and that type of stuff. And so in none of those instances would we ever just like walk out and perform. We always would like warm up. And so probably like three or four years ago, I started doing a daily design practice every day and just kind of using it to get in a creative mindset. So like this morning, I did it when I woke up. So I wake up usually at 5.30 and I just went downstairs and I was like sketching in my journal. And that was kind of enough to kind of center me for the day. Sometimes I'll do it between projects like this afternoon after this call, I'm going to switch from a really super vibrant project into much more streamlined, like black and white. And so I'll sometimes do like a little design warm up just to shift mindsets from one style to another. Um, But other than that, it's basically just trying to be as productive as humanly possible and trying to figure out how early I can eat lunch because I'm like the person who packs lunch and at 10, 15, they're done eating it. So (laughs) Um, I love snacks and I love creating and it's a good job for both of those things. I'm going to make a t-shirt now. Every time we do an episode, I always think t-shirt idea. I love snacks and design. That's, That's it. So funny. The, That's, the launch it. I love brilliant. snacks and I love designing. <laughs> it's hundred percent true. Add it to the merch list. How did having a baby affect your productivity and your creativity? And how do you how do you balance that? Because I feel like I don't know. A lot of people have ideas of what they can do and they see other designers being successful and having mm-hmm. these perfect days and this is my schedule and X, Y, and Z. And it's really easy to get into the comparison game. Yeah. Where it's like I have three children. And you have one and there are some people who don't have any and like to compare my life with yours and then with someone else's Mm -hmm. and no kids. Like it's just, it's really nice to get a dose of reality and like how that looks and how you can adapt and change and how your business changes. So I'm just curious, how did that affect um, what you were doing before versus what you do now? Yeah. I mean, everything that you said is just true. I think the biggest piece of that I would take away from what you just mentioned is like, None of us can compare our lives to anyone else ever. And I think that it's all relative, right? So I thought I was totally as busy as I possibly could have been when I had no kids. And 
now I look back and I'm like, what the heck was I even doing? Like, what did I do at night? Did I just like sit there? Like, what did I do in the morning? Why didn't I read like a hundred books a year? You know, like, what was I not the most productive person on the planet? And I think we all just naturally like expand or contract to the space that's given to us. I sometimes think about this in terms of like, if I moved into a two bedroom apartment with my husband and my daughter, we would just magically fit in a two-bedroom apartment but like in our house we just kind of like expand to fill the whole basement with all of our stuff and our toys and etc so I think that that happens a little bit with the way that we feel about our lives but having a child I mean changed my life dramatically I uh, being a seven a big thing that we like is freedom and control and that is I think I had a very difficult time transitioning to motherhood and um I think that had a lot to do with it, feeling like a lot of my freedom and agency was gone. And yeah, ultimately, what really kind of helped me turn the corner was having full-time childcare. We Now we have a nanny. She works 35 hours a week, and I, couldn't, I could not do anything that I do without that. So on the flip side, sometimes I see people posting their days on Instagram or whatever, and I know that their kids are at home with them. And I'm like, I'm barely hacking it with someone watching my child 30 hours a week. So I I think that, yeah, it's just all this like wild balance of trying to make it all happen. But I, um, when I was pregnant, I just was totally overcome with this like really intense desire for privacy. I didn't, I think at one point I was like, do we have to tell our families that I was pregnant, <laughs> that I'm pregnant? And my husband was like, yes, that's what we're going to be able to hide. Um, but it just like really came over me. I've been someone that desires privacy for my whole life, but it was just like next level. So then I needed to quickly kind of arrive at a way to continue to run a business um, with making a conscious choice not to tell anybody that I was pregnant. And so for me, you know, that was like really just, I never talked about it on the internet. I still don't talk about, I still have never shared any photos of my daughter or our house or my husband or anything like that, because it just um, is a boundary that is really important to me. But yeah, so having to make that choice and like feeling like I needed to make some specific decisions to be able to honor that desire for privacy that I had, I think was a good transition into running my business the way that I do now because it meant that I needed to let go of some control. I needed to hire my studio manager, bring someone in who could kind of keep things moving as I was out. And I also, it was my first time kind of dabbling in like, batch working, which I'm still not very into because it doesn't really work for the volume of clients that I work with normally, just because I tend to be a higher volume person and, and everybody does that differently. Some people work with one client a month, you know, there's no wrong way to do it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of on this like random tangent now. I mean, the short answer is <laughs> having a kid it changed my life very dramatically. And I think the ultimate biggest change for me has been being very much more compartmentalized. I used to, like I said, sit up in bed and walk to my desk and work. And then I would go work out and then I'd walk my dog and then I'd meet with a friend for lunch. And, and now, you know, if someone is watching our daughter, I'm at work and I'm working and doing everything that I possibly can. And then when I'm not here, you know, at my desk where I'm sitting right now, in my little office, um, I'm not working. And so I only work four days a week. And yeah, I think it's been very healthy for me to like really put some firm boundaries in place to protect my time outside of work. So that's about it. I love that. 
And that's so good too, is considering, yes, you, that is a decision that you have to make. Mm -hmm. It's like, do you want to keep working? Yes. Okay. How do I, you know, make it work? How do I be a working person? And how do I be a family person? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously being mm-hmm. like being able to afford child, child care is extremely expensive. And mm-hmm. that has been a priority that, you know, the choice that worked well for us, it doesn't work for everyone. And I think that if you are a parent and you are at home with kids trying to make the most of nap time or after mm-hmm. bedtime, I think the biggest thing is just being aware of the time that is actually available to you every week and trying really hard to not overextend yourself because that's when you start like getting upset when your kid is fussy at bedtime and you're like, Oh my gosh, I only have a two hours here. Um, And I think that if we can be more aware of like, okay, so Monday to Friday, I have eight hours where I can work. That means I should probably only take on five hours of work so that I have a bit of a buffer room. And then on the weekend, you know, maybe I can squeeze some more work in, but I think, Airing on the really small side is a good way to preserve um, mental health. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So on Instagram, you talked about how you felt like you should be showing your face more and how you felt like that was important and then it felt weird and so you stopped. So could you tell us more um, about your thoughts on marketing a business? What is expected versus doing what works for you? Yeah. Yeah. There, this is not new. There have been like rules for how you're supposed to do things forever. Right. I think now it just Mm -hmm. feels more Mm -hmm. in our face because instead of coming into contact with maybe 20 people in a day, you know, I'm following like 300 people on Instagram and I see all their Instagram stories and it, and it can get really overwhelming very quickly to hear what everyone else thinks that you should be doing. Um, and so, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, in terms of marketing a business online, obviously there's a lot of different ways to go about it. One of the biggest questions that I ask people, because one of the questions that I get most frequently is like, how do I get more Instagram followers? And my frequent response to that is, okay, why for like first of all, why do you want to get more followers? Is it just because it will make you feel good? Or is it because you want to get more clients? Or what is really kind of like the heart behind that? And there's nothing wrong with just wanting to have more followers. That's literally why they designed the app the way that they did. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not an accident that everyone is obsessed with that. That's how hundreds of researchers and psychologists have tapped into all of our desire for more and more and more. Um, But I generally ask Mm -hmm. people, like, do you really want Instagram to be what you spend your time doing? It's not a prerequisite. I had my first six figure year with like 300 followers on Instagram and I was posting like pictures of my husband's birthday scavenger hunt that I made him. So I was certainly mm-hmm. not marketing my business. I was probably doing the opposite, <laughs> whatever our camping trips. And, <laughs> and I definitely wasn't having like a curated cohesive brand message or like offering value to prospective clients. Um, so, you know, making money and being on Instagram it's not a requirement for sure. And now there's a million other avenues. Like I haven't even gone into TikTok or I'm 32. So I feel like I'm like too old for TikTok, but I'm not, but um, (laughs) I haven't gone into any of the other 
platforms, I really just kind of stick with Instagram. But I think ultimately, uh, giving yourself permission to do whatever feels right to you is a really important thing, um, just in terms of both like self-awareness of how you're feeling and asking yourself like, does this feel right to me? I feel like so many times, I mean, the Instagram stories example, so many times I'll see people say like, I didn't want to do this, but I'm just pushing through because my coach told me to. And I'm like, that's really weird advice. Like there's nothing wrong, (laughs) but I just can't imagine someone saying to me, you, this is, doesn't feel right to me. I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't. It makes me feel like it invades my privacy and being like, no, you just need to do it more. Um, And (laughs) I get that. And some people do it and they're like, oh, actually, I love this. I feel so connected to people and it's awesome. But for me, I would like try to record these videos and I was just total disaster. And I was like, okay, cool. So this just isn't for me. So I'll stop doing it. I'm not going to waste my time recording myself for an hour every day if I'm just like not feeling it. And that's cool. I mean, I think just trying to stay true to yourself, trying to be real with what is the best use of your time. Those are two really kind of, those are big kind of turning points for me. Yeah. So sort of on the same note, I read that you got rid of your smartphone for a year, right? So I used a flip phone. I got a flip phone. I got it last August and um, I used it pretty religiously for probably a couple of months, but then I had a few friends who were like kind of in crisis, just having different things in their life where I felt like I needed, I couldn't be like, you can't reach me. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be more available to them. So I kind of brought my phone back into my life. Um, So now I use my flip phone. You know, I generally like turn my phone off every night when I leave work. And then once at night, I'll open up my laptop and just look at my iMessages on my laptop. But um, that is... And then I use my flip phones on flip phone on the weekends. And Mm -hmm. that is different too. It's definitely not like, you know, if I'm driving somewhere and I'm like, oh, I should probably have my phone in case I need directions. Or I like want to look at the monitor while, you know, my daughter is napping and I'm not at home. I'll bring my phone. So I definitely still use it, the flip phone, but it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not um, 100% of the time. And I think that that is, that's probably a good reminder just generally in your business of like, you're never going to do anything 100% of the time. So try to be careful, like setting up really rigid rules for yourself. Like I never work mm-hmm. with clients who do XYZ or I never do Canva templates or I never do whatever, because I think that ultimately most of us end up changing our minds on things all the time. And so just kind of being mm-hmm. open-minded makes it easier to just kind of flow through life. But I do love the flip phone. It made me, it has made me much more aware of how I, much I'm on my phone and how much I rely on it literally from like, when I first started having to listen to the radio, I was like, well, this is a drag. I have to listen to whatever they're playing <laughs> on the radio. Like I just, what a bummer. I have no control. And I think that it, my phone in a lot of ways really taps into my seven qualities of like wanting exactly what I want when I want it and a phone is very enabling for that 
of everything from mm-hmm. ordering Starbucks to my office to ordering something from Target and being able to pick it up on the way home to picking my exact music, you know, knowing the answer to mm-hmm. any question that I have at any mm-hmm. time. So it's been a journey. I I do enjoy the flip phone. I still have it. I just bought like a um, Target flip phone and it has a thousand minutes on it. So I'll just keep it for, you know, as long as I need to. I've definitely thought about switching my Verizon phone number to a flip phone, but I love maps, man. They're so great. It's such a great way to know how to get everywhere all the time. Yes. I couldn't get anywhere without my phone. Mm -hmm. Just that's one of the biggest things in not using my smartphone. I don't know how I would get anywhere. Yeah. And photos, you know, I think kids, yeah, it's like you want to document a lot of that. But I found that when I started using my flip phone, I was actually like more there Mm. and less worried about being able to be there later, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're able to be present instead of worrying about how you're capturing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. So did you just have a desire to not be on your phone as much? Is that what made you want to get the flip phone? Yeah, I I kind of feel this way right now. So it's funny that we're talking about this. I feel like once a year, sometimes more, I'll just kind of reach this point where I'm like, what if I just like disappear forever? You know, if I like just quit Instagram and like (laughs) just work with, because ultimately, you know, I don't, the way that I use Instagram is kind of a form of self-preservation. I don't share client work. I just share things that I make for fun. I don't share my family. Mm -hmm. I have these like kind of boundaries up around things that I'm really more sensitive about. And mm-hmm. um, it's easier for me to make something, you know, that I like that I think is cute and but doesn't, it's not like a client's project and put it out there. And like, if people don't like it, then I really don't care that much because I liked it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the point. Um, so but the product of that is that I really don't get that many clients from Instagram. And so because I'm not like showcasing packaging projects or anything, I'm just, you know, you can do big, brave things isn't really a selling point to like a telehealth company. Looking for visual branding. <laughs> so I've kind of set it up so that I can walk away if I need to. And I, I kind of hit this breaking point every once in a while where I'm like, wow, I just really need a break. I'm getting too caught up in this. It's taking up too much of my time and energy. And I feel like it's distracting me from my work and my clients. And so anytime that happens, um, I we'll just step back. But last year, obviously, with COVID, it it kind of like really ramped up from April till August. And then I ended up getting the flip phone in August. And it just kind of felt like in a period after a long sentence of like being isolated at home, being on our phones all the time, Mm -hmm. and really just needing like a big breather from, you know, less digital, more analog. Yes. Sometimes I really think I should get a flip phone and then I get scared. <laughs> but it sounds like you have a really good system. A good yeah, balance. I mean, if you want to do it, my flip phone was $100 and the I think the thousand minutes was like $30. So obviously I'm not saying that, you know, $150 is not a lot of money, but I... I think it's a really low risk way of doing it as mm-hmm. opposed to being like, okay, I'm trading in my iPhone for this Verizon flip phone, which really isn't sustainable. If you, you know, I have to proof on the road all the time. Like I'm doing random stuff all the time on my phone. So mm-hmm. it was like a low risk way of bringing that into my life. That's awesome. Okay. I don't want to take too much of your time. So just a couple more questions. 
Um, what do you do when you feel stuck? How do you get unstuck and motivate yourself to stay creative? Okay, I would say two things. The first is leave the environment that I'm currently in. So if I'm if I reach a breaking point on a project or I'm feeling like I'm out of ideas, I will go for a quick walk or I'll, I'll try to literally like go outside. If I need to run an errand, I'll go do that. If I, if I can do anything to kind of break up the time and stand up from my desk and just really kind of give my mind a pause and then come back and do what is probably the most productive method that I use now, which is just pushing forward. And it sounds impossible when you're feeling stuck, but I just like try to constantly iterate and be like, okay, I'm starting here and I don't like it. What if I do this? What if I do this? What if I do this? And just like push it as far as you possibly can. And um, I think if, you know, whenever I give myself the permission to like really commit to that process and take it as far as I possibly can, like the end result is nearly always better than what I started with. And so I think just like having this mindset that almost everything can always be better is helpful just in the pursuit of like constantly pressing forward. But other times, like I mentioned earlier, you know, if I'm truly stuck, I think the, the best thing you can do is ask for help. And mm-hmm. it's, it's hiring a CPA, it's hiring an illustrator, it's finding someone to refer to for web, um, and just knowing where, you know, like, I think I'm a good designer, but I can't do everything. And I, I refuse to be blinded by my ego. And I think a lot of people sometimes want to like think a project is more worthy if they've done it all themselves Hmm. and I don't subscribe to that and I think oftentimes I'm stuck because I am trying to do too much on my own yeah totally so you mentioned your daily creative what did you call it practice I call it I call it the daily design practice daily design practice so is that something you use when you're starting to get into work and do you ever feel like unmotivated and then you do that and it kind of jump starts your creativity oh like 99% of the time I I Mm. very rarely come to work and I'm like I am ready to go like usually you know I just hand it off like my kid was screaming as I left the house and I drove to work and I maybe like checked my emails I was leaving and got stressed out about you know whatever email popped up in there and so that is very helpful for me just in kind of like a resetting. Mm-hmm. And then also just giving myself time to make stuff that I like for fun in pursuit of my own personal passions that aren't necessarily related to client work with the end goal of being the best version of myself possible when I'm sitting down to do client work. Cause it's really very performance-based work. You know, we make a promise to clients that we're going to deliver good work. We're going to do a good job. We're going to create original concepts. And so I see it as an opportunity to like get in the right headspace to be able to execute that. Awesome. So how, how long is this practice? Like what, can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like? Yeah. Sometimes it's like five minutes. Um, Sometimes it's longer. You know, the other day I made, I was feeling really off and just like in the middle of the day, I was just like made a collage um, just for myself, you know, just like I think I recycled it afterwards. I, there, there's not, it's not always about 
making something to be like, here it is. Um, It's more so just the practice of, you know, when you played high school soccer and you warmed up beforehand, you're just like moving your body. And I think that there's a lot of similarities between that and warming up creatively is literally getting yourself in the physical framework of like, okay, I'm like clicking around an illustrator. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sitting at my desk and getting in the right mindset there. Um, So that's such a good analogy. Such a good analogy. I was just gonna say that. I have never thought of design that way. I literally never thought about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Which is so interesting because you think like in a sport, you're messing around, you're practicing, you're not judging yourself on doing it perfectly. But in design, for some reason, we think it should look beautiful every step of the way and everything we make should always be beautiful. Yeah, it's a a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And I Mm -hmm. think for me, just diffusing that a little bit by just kind of like letting it flow um, and doing it as much as you need to. Like, again, it's not like, okay, I sit down and I'm doing this for two hours or an hour or whatever. It's really just like whatever you need. Um, Sometimes I'll like go pick up rocks in our backyard and look at and be like, okay, there's here are like these different color stories. So, I mean, it's definitely not like only an illustrator. You know, I talk about this a little bit. Um, I've done a webinar about this before and, and just there's kind of a couple different categories of like parallel skills. So, you know, maybe I want to get into animation and it's a good time to learn and experiment with that stuff when you're not working on a client project. Like it's a great Mm -hmm. time to get your feet wet when you're not under the pressure of producing something for a client. It just makes it a much more kind of like free flowing, exploratory, super performance. Perfect word. Exploratory. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. I always wonder. So when you post to Instagram, you post these beautiful quotes and illustrations and all of this and you're saying it's more of a way for you to like express yourself almost I think the terminology that you used but it's just really cool (laughs) do you ever think oh I really wish this you know this is what I need to hear today and then you share it or is it you just kind of do whatever is there like purpose other than being creative behind it or is it just what you do I mean (laughs) no that's a really great question so I think that there it's kind of a combination of two things it's the words are definitely rooted in my life they're almost always kind of like a note to self kind of a a reminder Mm -hmm. that I need something that I'm struggling with some of them are much more overtly that like when I've spoken about motherhood or you know some of those other more vulnerable things but yeah so the the kind of sentiment itself and the written words are either pulled from my journal or from my brain in the moment. Um, And then, you know, on the design side, oftentimes it's just an experiment of something that I thought would be fun to try. Um, There's really no super rhyme or reason to anything um, except for to kind of take the same mindset that I have in client work, which is like to just keep iterating and evolving and try not to do the same thing you know people will tell you all the time like pick a style pick colors and like those are your brand colors and oh my gosh I'm like all over the map you know it's just like literally is whatever I'm feeling at any given time and that works really well for me again because it's like really easy for me to 
share things that I truly like, and then I'm not worried about if other people like them because I feel really good about it. Um, So, you know, it's a good kind of emotional buffer for me. Yeah. Well, I love that. Well, I know that a lot of people share your work and it really resonates with Mm -hmm. them. So I was curious. Thank you. You It resonates with them because it resonates with you. And I feel like that. Yes. It's it's, it's cool. I think you're one of the few people that like almost everything you post resonates with me. Thank you. you I appreciate that. I, I feel like I do have a personality that is just kind of like, realistic like I I feel like I do have kind of this like romanticized version of life and and I definitely kind of subscribe to some like oh we're all holding hands together in this journey of life like I definitely (laughs) feel like especially as it relates to my business you know like I feel like I have kind of a practical no bs kind of approach to things and Mm -hmm. really adaptable and I think that most people are feeling like a lot of what they're seeing online is especially in the design world is really rigid. Like you need to do it this way yeah, and then do this, this, and this. And I feel like my perspective is almost the opposite. Like don't let anybody tell you what to do because it's so refreshing. You do your own thing. But mm-hmm. I probably the hardest thing for me now is my desire to occasionally like walk away. And, but then I'm also fortunate, very, very fortunate to get messages from people all the time that are so kind about how, you know, my words or my work have helped them through a difficult time. And so I do feel this yeah. sense of fulfillment and, and passion for serving that purpose now as well. And so I think, you know, I'm not getting lots of clients from Instagram, but I do feel like it serves a purpose both for me and for, you know, a small group of other people as well. I love it. Sasha, well, thank you for sharing your talents. Yes, and for thank you. Being out thank with you us for your today, kind words. Chatty. Yeah. Is there anything you want to share? Any last thoughts? You have Ooh. to Where can we find you? Yes. Like on the internet? So you can find me um, on Instagram at Olivia Herrick Design. My website is OliviaHerrickDesign.com. I do have a section on my website called For Designers, and it's like blog posts specifically for designers, kind of like peeling back the curtain of the way that I run my business um, and just more of like kind of honest thoughts on like, you know, one of them is like why it's okay to work for free and just kind of some like my different unique perspectives on things. Um, Other than that, yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say don't follow me on Instagram. Take a break from Instagram. Like, I don't don't look for me. Just like go outside, you know? And, um, but at the same time, I always say that, and you guys, obviously this is kind of why this podcast came to be that when I first started, I remember emailing people and it was a really different time. People are much more accessible now, but I would email these designers. I would ask questions and nobody would ever respond to me. Or if they did, they weren't willing to actually tell me anything of yep. substance or value. Yep. Um, and that is the way that some people are. And that works great. Again, everyone has their own boundaries, but my yep. personal philosophy has been to kind of be the opposite of that like don't google it just ask me and I'll tell you because I can save you a lot of headache and so I would say that if anybody is listening and they have questions like please feel free to reach out at any time dm me email me and I'm happy to help however I can 
That's You're cool. Amazing. And you do your challenges too. I feel like that's how I found you probably was through the Holly Jolly Design Challenge. Yeah, that's yeah. the only one that I've done, but it was so fun and I didn't, I wasn't planning on bringing it back. And then people were like, when does it start? I was like, oh, you know, oh. I that. that's fun. <laughs> yeah, that was um, really yeah, fun. I mean, the spirit of that is definitely in, is like, it ultimately is the daily design practice, right? Like you set a timer, mm-hmm. it's really fixed, like finite period of time with a creative prompt that you either get for right for yourself or in that case, you know, I sent out, but just all about creating, keep creating. I love it. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing. This was just jam packed with so much good info so good and really I'm like so unique excited. perspectives. And I'm very excited to share it with the world. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yes, thank you. thank you. Yeah, have a good rest of your day. We'll see you around on Instagram. Hopefully, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Perfect. I will. Yeah, we I mean, who you. knows? We if I disappear, do. you'll know that I'm just, you know, going for a couple of hikes and and sitting drinking coffee for a little bit longer every day. But I'll Perfect. see you there. All right. Do you guys feel inspired to create or what? <laughs> Olivia is so knowledgeable. She's learned a lot from her 11 years in the industry, and I'm just so grateful she took the time to share her knowledge with us today. If you've listened to the podcast, you know we like to read a review every week, and if this is your review, you can message us on Instagram, and we'll send you some Design Beat stickers. So today's review is from A.A. Fuller, and it says, So fun and fresh. Okay, I already knew I liked Lauren and Steph, but listening to their Get to Know You episode and then their interview with Dohee Kim, I was hooked. Lauren and Steph are relatable, spreading good vibes, and have such happy personalities. These episodes are packed with helpful insights from creatives paving the way, and I am grateful for the honest conversations happening here. (gasps) Okay, that was so nice. Reviews like these seriously give us the validation we need to keep going, and we are just so grateful for you guys. Thank you for listening. If today's episode resonated with you, let us know by tagging us on Instagram. Maybe share a screenshot of the episode, and of course, write us a review, rate, and subscribe. We hope you feel uplifted, inspired, and encouraged to go for it. To stay up to date on all things Design Beat, you can visit us at designbeatpodcast.com and join our mailing list there. You can also follow us on Instagram at designbeatpodcast. See you there.